Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. We are in uh, Proverbs 14. So you can turn there in your Bibles. We're about halfway through uh, this chapter, so we'll pick up where we left off uh, in the chapter. Again, we're still in a section where Almost every verse is kind of, uh, it stands alone in and of itself. So the context isn't as key necessarily to remind us what the, the previous verses say and so on. But we, we are in this series of contrast where Solomon is trying to make this point without saying the point. He's just trying to contrast wisdom and foolishness. And you should pick, which one do you want to go after? Um, righteousness and wickedness and so on and so forth. And often without any words, he, he guides us in the direction we should go. And he begins today in our verse, in verse 15, he says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And there's a number of instances in this uh, chapter where he's going to reference the simple. simple. Typically, Solomon is contrasting the wise person with the foolish person. Here now, though, in this instance, he contrasts the simple person with the, with the wise person, if you will. And the simple person... They are on the pendulum, if you will, of foolishness, but perhaps they have not yet made it all the way down that prism to being an actual fool. But they're at least moving in that particular direction. Typically, when Solomon describes foolishness, and when he refers to people as fools, he almost without exception is making reference to a level of willful disobedience or rebellion. And that's what makes that particular person a fool, Uh, in that instance. And so God's way is presented, but the fool says, yeah, I'm not interested in that. And that's what makes them a fool. There's a willful rebellion, a disobedience. uh, I'm going to ignore that which you have said. Now here though, he makes reference to a simple person and he's not so much saying that here's a person rebelling against the truth. Rather, he's saying here's a person at least in practice that doesn't seem to realize that there is such a thing as truth. And that's what makes that person a simple person, that they just blindly accept everything. Well, somebody said it, so it must be true. Not necessarily. It could be false. And so you have to have wisdom. You have to discern. You have to be prudent. You have to evaluate these sorts of things. So that person is a simple person where they just believe everything compared to the fool that says, well, I'm not interested in hearing that, even if it may be true. So again, he says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And that idea of believing everything, that's a mistake. Solomon makes that point very clear here. Notice he says, the prudent man or woman, he says, they're going to take a second look at things. They're going to exercise caution. And in doing so, they're going to preserve their steps from error. Their wisdom is demonstrated in their willingness to exercise caution. And so whether we're talking about big purchases and not just jumping into it, but stopping and thinking and exercising caution and what will this big purchase, what effect will this have on my life, you know, 10 years from now, that sort of thing, or we're talking about the relationships that we get into, whether that be sort of a romantic relationship or just sort of a a group of peers that are going to have an influence on us, we exercise caution in who we give our hearts to, certainly, uh, whether it's careers that we go down. I think I said it a few weeks ago. For most, many people, their career decision is simply, well, what's it pay? How much will I earn from this particular job? Is it more than I'm earning now? I'll take the job. That's a bad way to make a decision. 
and it's going to have a significant impact on the rest of your relationships with your wife, your husband, your children, etc., etc. And so wisdom is found in being cautious. And I think there's no more important place to exercise that caution than in the teachings that we allow ourselves to receive. No, no more important place to exercise caution than in the teachings that we allow ourselves to receive. First John chapter 4, the Apostle John, he said this. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The Apostle Paul, he said something similar. He addressed the believers in Thessalonica, and he said, Quench not, or do not quench, the Holy Spirit, but test everything. And hold fast to that which is good. And so both Paul and John, their exhortations is for the believer to exercise discernment in the teachings that they allow themselves to receive from others. And that exhortation to those early believers continues as an exhortation for us as believers as well. And so the exhortation then for us is to be very careful with the things we allow ourselves to receive. There's a very interesting story, if you will. It's an account. It's not like a fable. It's a, it's a real event that occurred in Acts chapter 17. And it involved a city called Berea. And Paul went to that particular city after going to a series of cities, and he began to teach the people in each of those cities. And he had just come from Thessalonica, the, the passage I just read to you. He had just come from that city, and he ended up in the city of Berea, and he began to share the gospel with those people. He began to teach through the word with those people. He began to dialogue with people and answer their questions. And then he says this of them. He says, now the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul in Acts there commends the believers in Berea because the exhortation that John would give us and Paul would give us elsewhere, and I believe Solomon is giving us here, they were obeying. They were receiving the word with openness. Their heart was open. I want to know what God has to say to me, but they were doing so with a measure of discernment. And notice Paul calls them there more noble than any of the other believers. He commends them for doing that exact thing. He says these Jews were more noble. And the reason why, verse 11 of that chapter, is because they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We must be people as followers of Christ in a world where there's a whole bunch of messages that are out there, religious messages and just sort of worldly cultural messages that are out there. We have to be a people that discern that sift everything through the word of God and filter out that which is not true and keep that which is. Notice, they examine these things by the scriptures. Again, as verse 11 says there, because why the scriptures? Why does he commend them for that? Because that is the source of all truth. Now think about the people you hear on TV or on the radio or in books that you read. How different their approach is to their teachings. Because Paul says here, but I'm the Apostle Paul. Just listen to what I have to say. That's not what he says at all. He could have. I would have said, all right, cool. Give me whatever you got for me. And that's what a lot of people say today. Touch not the Lord's anointed, they'll say. I'm an apostle. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm a sought-after speaker. How dare you question me? How long have you been a believer? You know, all these kinds of things. Paul, the apostle, says, go back to the word. Go back to the word. And they do that. And they go back to the word. 
and they verify that what he had to say was true. And I appreciate that about them. Now, I will say this. Some people are unwilling to believe anything, okay? And so they're just like, and they got this attitude about them. These guys didn't have an attitude. They had a heart to receive, but they were willing to verify. And I think that's the way that God would have us approach these things, that we go back to the word of God, the source of all truth, and we verify the things that God is kind of stirring around in our hearts to see if these things are so. Many in the church today, they'll go to experience to verify. Well, I, can't, I know it doesn't line up with scripture, but it happened to me. That's not the way to verify it has to be the word of God, not your experience. Some will say their feelings. Well, I just felt really warm and fuzzy, and that's got to be the Holy Spirit. I even had the little goosebump things. It's not the way to verify, friends. And again, some will say, well, he's a pastor. He must know. No. You go back to the word of God. So don't be simple. Receive Solomon's exhortation. Exercise prudence. You'll protect yourself for doing so, whether it's the teachings of God's word or it's other areas like finances and relationships and so on. Exercise caution in those particular things. Again, the verse says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Along the same line, Paul talking about, excuse me, Solomon talking about caution. Look at verse 16. He said, one, is wise, one who is wise is cautious, turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Again, extolling the virtues of prudence and caution. This time, uh, rather than being about the decision we make or the things that we allow ourselves to believe, this time he's speaking about the actions that we do. And so Paul says there, excuse me, I'm sorry, Solomon says there, you need to be cautious about these things, the things that we do. That's the meaning of that phrase there, turns away from evil. That's our actions. And so Paul is saying the wise individual exercises caution with the things that they do. A wise man or woman that is seeking to live godly has two things going on with inside of their hearts. Number one is they have a healthy fear of sin. And number two, they have a right understanding of themselves. Now there's a lot of other things going on in that individual, but for the godly man or woman that is seeking to walk in wisdom, they have a healthy fear of sin and they have a right understanding of what is going on inside of them. And what I mean by each of those is this, when I talk about a healthy fear of sin, I'm refer referring to an attitude of their heart that despises sin and wants nothing to do with sin. I don't wanna play around with it. I don't wanna get as close to it as I can. I don't wanna say, okay, well, what's the line? that I can go up to and not go over and still not be in sin. I don't want to be anywhere near it. That's what a wise individual has. That's how they exercise caution as it pertains to matter of sin. And they have a right understanding of themselves. And by that, what I mean is they are fully aware that their heart is desperately wicked and is given to deceiving themselves about themselves. Things like this. Well, I'll be okay. I'll just watch it for a little while, but I, I won't, you know etc. Playing around with these things. A right understanding of themselves that their heart is meant to, designed to, given to, deceiving them even about these matters. Wisdom is to depart from sin. Not to tough it out. Not to stand up to it. I'm tough. I can handle it. I can go down to, the, like as a man, I can go down to the strip bars and witness because I can handle it. No, let's let the ladies go down to the strip bars and share with the women there not the men. You see, you can handle it. Run from it is the way that you should respond. Sometimes you can't run. Sometimes you have to be in the midst of a particular circumstance, but more often than not, 
you can. And I'm thinking of two examples in the scripture, two contrasts in the scripture. In the book of Genesis, we have the story of Joseph. In the book of 2 Samuel, we have the story of King David. Joseph in Genesis finds himself in a situation where he is alone with a woman that is demonstrating to him her clear desire to engage with him sexually. David finds himself in the early stages of what could certainly develop into an inappropriate sexual relationship with a woman that was not his wife. Both of these men are essentially in the very same place. And if you're familiar with each of those stories, you know they responded very differently and the consequences or the result was very different. Joseph picks up and runs out of that room or wherever they were, that building, he runs out of that particular place where that woman was making a pass at him. But David, if you look, plays around with it. He stays there. He ganders a little bit longer than he should have. He begins to inquire. He begins to ask questions. He begins to move toward it till he finally gets to the point where he falls in sin. And it's his fault because he didn't take sin seriously and he didn't run from sin. And the wise person does so. And they don't play around with it because they know that their heart is wicked and their heart will deceive them And before long, they'll know, I've fallen. How did I fall? It's wisdom to turn from evil. And a wise man, for fear of harm, keeps out of harm's way. Don't play with sin. Because sin will win. And it'll defeat you. Amen? Take those drastic steps. Verse 7, Solomon writes this, A man of quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. When your temper, somebody said this, when your temper boils over, you usually end up in hot water. And I think that speaks to this particular proverb here. Now, we know that anger in and of itself is not wrong. Anger is an emotion. And there are certain things that you should get angry over. There are things you should see on the television, news really, That should bother you and anger you as someone who has the Holy Spirit working inside of their life. There should be things that we encounter in life that anger us. The question becomes is what do we do with that emotion? And so when we allow our anger to take us where it wants to go, instead of our will and our spirit controlling where our anger goes, that's when we often get ourselves into trouble. And we often do things that end up being either really foolish or very regretful later on. He says here, a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. A little bit later, look down at verse 29. He says something similar. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a temper exalts folly. And so the man or woman that lets their anger get the best of them and they fly off the handle quickly, as some do, or they shut down altogether and they put on the face and everyone knows, oh boy, dad's mad, mom's mad, my boss is mad, my friend is mad. They're both inappropriate. Whether you're flying off the handle or you're just letting people know, you better not come in this room right now. Either one of those are off the handle. And the one who shuts it down and does that, Solomon says here, is acting foolishly. And they're setting themselves up for a fall. And so be on your guard against such things. Continuing verse 18, he says, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. A person can be simple. We looked at that term a moment ago. And a person can be simple because they do not know. 
And many times children, for instance, are simple because they just don't know. They haven't learned these things yet. Uh, they haven't had the experiences or whatever. Maybe they're, they're just so little. They just, their brain hasn't even developed to that particular point. And in some ways, you look at that and you're like, oh, that's cute. Oh, they're innocent. They're simple. Man, I wish I could be back in that particular place as well. But as a person begins to grow, that doesn't become cute anymore. As a person begins to grow when they hit a particular age, look, man, you should know. And so you have this simplicity to yourself. So a person can be simple because they do not know. It's even more dangerous. What is even more dangerous, though, is the person that is simple because they will not know. And you keep allowing yourself, if you keep allowing yourself to act simply, before long, what's he say? You're going to inherit folly. And so I, I said here, there's this, I don't think the word is pendulum. What's this word? Spectrum or something? Continuum? That's not the word. Uh, it's a continuum. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So there's this spectrum is what I think I want. A continuum, as f- some folks say uh, here, if you are on this side, of, on the foolish side of things, every time you allow yourself to remain in simplicity, you just keep moving down toward foolishness. And the end result will eventually be, if, if changes are made, you're going to be classified as a fool. And so a simp- the simple will inherit folly. And it seems to be the idea that Solomon is getting here because he contrasts simple with prudent there. And again, prudent is the mark of a person that is wise. Correct? So the prudent one here, the prudent one is one who is careful. They're diligent. They're circumspect, I should say. And because they are, Solomon says there that they are crowned with knowledge. But by contrast, the one that never takes steps, the simple one that never takes steps to learn, never takes steps to grow, thus they never do grow. And they remain in their simplicity. And so just about your, your job, if you have a particular job, get better at your job. Get smarter at your job. Read a book. Listen to a podcast about leaders in your particular field or, or whatever. Grow, develop, and certainly in matters of your faith. I think another one is this. Just think things through. Process things. Believe it or not, I'll watch, uh, you know, the coach from the football game give his after conference. Let's say Doug Peterson celebrating the big victory. You know, just a random idea. I'll just throw that out there randomly. But here, Doug Peterson, coach, he gets up there and he talks. And I'm listening to what he has to say. I'm interested. I like the Eagles and things like that. But I'm also interested in how he responds to things because I have to respond to things as well. And I want to take that and I want to process it through my life experience and put it into my actions. I believe that's how I'm growing in wisdom. And I think you understand that as well. And so do you take time to think things through, process those things, and apply those things to life? If you do, you'll grow. If you never do, say it. You'll never grow. That's what I wanted you to say. All right? So those investments that you make, pick up a book, listen to a podcast, whatever, those investments will pay off over time. And rather than inheriting folly for having done nothing, you will inherit essentially, I'll kind of put it in our own words, wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Correct? All right, verse 19. The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. I think it's a helpful reminder that the, what the Bible teaches throughout its pages is this, the eventual triumph of good over evil. And you look at uh, the Psalms, for instance, it seems at times some of the Psalm writers doubted that reality. And so they would say, Lord, where are you? 
Why is it that the wicked are prospering or whatever? But we know, and it's good to remind ourselves of the eventual triumph of good over evil, that God will vindicate the cause of the righteous. And if you ever doubt that, just turn to the back of your Bibles and read the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And it'll be a helpful reminder to you of what Solomon is saying there in that particular proverb. Verse 20, he says, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Now, this is not an exhortation of the way things should be. It's a statement, unfortunately, of the way things often are. That is just the way of the world, that the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. It's the way of the world. What it should not be is the way of the church. And it should not be the way of our church, certainly so, because the Lord has called us out of this world. The Lord has called us to be a separate and distinct people. And the showing of favoritism for any reason, and in this case it's because of a person's financial wherewithal, the showing of favoritism for any reason is wrong, and it should not be tolerated by God's people and within, even within our own hearts. Too often, I think, we allow friendships to be formed based on what we perceive the other person can bring to us or offer to us. And so to use this example, if a person has a lot of money, maybe they'll leave money lying around and then I could take their money, you know, or something like that. Or if a person, how about this one, is really popular, well, then maybe by my hanging out in that crowd, I'll become really popular. And people become friends so often with others based on what they perceive that other person can bring to them. That's not true friendship. And that's not true love. And it's not the way that Christ loved us. And thus, it's not the way we are to love others. We should be interested in people for what we can do for them, not what they can do for us. And so I encourage you in that regard on the issue of favoritism and things like that. Let the Lord search out your heart on that particular matter. Verse 21, he says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Again, addressing the theme of how we treat the poor. Solomon says here that the one that is generous to the poor is blessed by God. Now make sure you catch this. There's two things Solomon is telling us here. First, that the person that despises a person because they are poor is in sin for doing so. And you you should hear that. If you despise the poor, as he says here, just based on the fact, well, they're poor, one of these attitude things, the Bible here says that you are in sin for doing so. So stop it and check your heart and get right with the Lord in that regard. Secondly, notice what this verse makes clear here is that God is pleased with the one that shows kindness to the poor and he will bless that person for being so or doing so. So you can either alienate yourself from God and do that which he classifies as sin, or you can ingratiate yourself to God and do that which he says he's going to bless. And the choice is there in front of you. He doesn't tell us which one to choose, does he? But who's the wise person? Which one's a wise person going to choose? The second, certainly so. Verse 22, do do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. I think this is an important verse because it deals with the silent places of our hearts. It's not the stuff we're doing necessarily. It's not what we're telling other people or whatever. It's just what's going on inside of our heart and mind. And so the question, when you are alone with your thoughts, do you find yourself devising evil or devising good? Do you find yourself devising evil or devising good? And by that, what I mean is, let's say you've got an enemy that is out there. 
and you're alone with your thoughts and you're oh I'm going to kill him and here's how I'm going to do it you know one of these things and you're beginning to plan out how this is or you know you're you're thinking through I think I heard an earthquake was going to happen maybe I can get them to the spot where they'll die you know or something like and you're devising evil or are you devising good how can I bless this particular person? And so on and so forth. I found this to be interesting. The word devise there is a word which could mean plows or engraves. And so both of those, you, you think of the picture there. If you have some, some farmland or something and you plow it, you sort of dig a trench in the ground. If you engrave something, you got a flat piece of metal or wood or something, and you dig a trench in a sense in that wood. And that's the word that he uses there. The idea is to dig it into your heart and mind to dig it into your heart and mind and when we do that what forms a rut forms the rut becomes a permanent part of our thinking pattern to some degree it can eventually be removed from your thinking pattern but to some degree that rut forms in your thinking pattern because you've spent your time digging that rut plowing that ground forming devising whether it be evil or whether it be good and that thinking pattern pretty soon becomes your pattern of behavior. And so start devising good for others in your heart and mind, and don't be surprised that you start performing good for others in your heart, or excuse me, in your actions. You do that, and then the next part of the equation is the next thing you discover is that those acts of kindness toward others begin to come back toward you, as it says, in steadfast love and in faithfulness. Essentially, people begin to treat you as you are treating other people, and it all comes back on you. So my exhortation to you, I think Solomon's to us is this. Stop dreaming up ways to get even with people that may have hurt you or bothered you. Even if you have no intention of carrying out those evil dreams, it's still doing you harm. And it's coming out in your actions in one way or another. And instead of dreaming up evil ways to hurt others, even if you have no intention to do so, start dreaming up ways to be a blessing to other people. And you'll be changed for doing so and then you'll begin to see your acts catching up with your thinking and so on and so forth and I think that's a good place to be and you'll be more satisfied as a human for being there verse 23 and all the toil there is profit but mere talk tends only to poverty somebody said working without talking will make men rich talking without working will make men poor and I just wrote a simple note here. Put your head down, get to work, and allow the Lord to bless the toil of your hands. Got it? All right. Verse 24. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. Now, we've been saying this, that the way of wisdom tends to lead to financial success. It's not a universal promise, but it's a general principle that Solomon has been giving us in the Proverbs. And it's both, uh, and we've seen it in our pr practical examples, our experiences, that the way of wisdom tends to lead toward these things. But I would say this, whether a person is poor or wealthy in this word's goods, world's goods, the wise are always wealthy. That the wise possess that which can never fade away. And people recognize their value, the value of the person that is wise, whether they have a lot of cash in their pockets or their bank account or not. And so their wisdom then becomes their crowning achievement. Verse 25, a truthful witness saves lives, but the one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Now, certainly in a court of law, a truthful witness could save a person's life if, you know, it, it's that sort of a, a case there. 
But I think even more significantly, the faithful and honest witness of spiritual truths has the ability to save lives eternally. And that's why I think the the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ, informally, I'm not talking about we all have to get up and be Billy Graham or something like that, but the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ is perhaps the most important thing we can do, maybe it is the most important thing we can do, in the arenas of our lives. Because the person that is faithful and honest in the communication of spiritual truths has the ability to save somebody's life eternally. And what could be more valuable than that? It's God's plan, and I don't understand why, but it is God's plan to use his children to reach others for his kingdom. And the very fact that we remain here on the earth is a reminder to us that there's a work that God has each of us to do until he's done with us and he takes us home unto himself. It's not going to be random the day you die. Every one of us, our day is designated. The Lord knows the day. And he's going to keep us here until he's done with us here. And then he's going to call us home. And the very fact that we're still here is a testimony to us that the Lord has something for me to do. And that may be a variety of things for all of us, but what we know it is for all of us is to communicate the gospel of grace to other people. And so the faithful witness has the ability to save someone's life eternally. One author fleshed this out, and he painted sort of this picture. And I thought it was good. He said this, Everyone whom Christ saves from the world, he then uses in the world. Deserters from the power of darkness are one by one as they come over, incorporated into the armies of the living God, and then sent back to do battle against their former Lord. And then he says this, If you are a Christian, these two things are true of you. First, you have need of Christ, and second, Christ has need of you. A truthful witness saves lives, but the one who breathes out lies is deceitful, as our verse said. And Christians are best and sometimes worst evidences of Christianity. Live your life in such a way that your life is a truthful witness of who God is, what God does, and what God can do. Live your life in such a way that you might testify to that reality. Okay, verse 26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The man who fears the Lord has every reason to have a strong confidence. Paul said this in the New Testament book of Romans. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And this idea of fearing the Lord and having strong confidence, it's what some people have referred to as the blessed paradoxes of Scripture. It's like the one where Paul says, in my weakness I am made strong. That doesn't make any sense, but it's a blessed paradox. And here we we fear the Lord, and yet we have strong confidence, and that's the, the paradox of this particular passage. The magnificence of the fear of the Lord is that it results in a confidence of the highest order. Because it's, a confident, it's, it's finding its confidence in God himself. And so paradoxically, to fear God properly is ultimately to be delivered from all fear. Isn't that something? Because the fear which causes, and here's the reason, because the fear which causes a sinner to come to the end of themselves, to cry out to God for mercy, is by that mercy delivered from the condemnation that their sin justly deserves. You catch that? I'm not going to say it again. You had to pay attention better. Already here? And when that happens, a person is set free. So in my fear of the judgment that I deserve, 
I'm driven to God. I cry out to him for mercy. He pours out that mercy on me. And now I'm no longer fearful of the judgment that I deserve. I've been set free. And so the fear of the Lord brings strong confidence. Verse 27, he says about the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And again, this idea of the fear of the Lord, rather than it being a cowering fear that causes us to kind of run off into hiding, notice what he says here, that the fear of the Lord, I'll put it in my own words, it's an ever-flowing spring. He says it's a fountain of life, and it's a spring, what it is is a spring of comfort and joy. The fear of the Lord, that spring, that fountain of life that it births within us, it brings peace in our hearts, it brings joy to our hearts, it brings contentment, to our hearts. It brings a whole host of other emotions. You know them. And that spring springs up from within. Now notice this also. It says the fear of the Lord. Notice what it does is it serves to turn the person away from their sin. He says that one may turn away from the snares of death. And so the fear of the Lord has the effect of not first uh, birthing something within me, that results in peace and joy and contentment and all of those things, but it also creates in me a desire to turn from sin and to turn from, as it says here, the snares of death. So that the knowledge of who God is, what God has done, and what we know God will do, it sobers the man or the woman of God. And what it does is, we said it just even earlier today, it drives the person away from anything that will alienate them from God. And so I don't want to go down that path because I will sacrifice this peace and this joy and this contentment and this intimacy of relationship. And I don't want to lose this. I love it so much. It's a spring of life within me. This is what I want. And I don't want any of this over here. Make sense? And so it's a blessing. The fear of the Lord is meant to be a blessing in each of our lives. Solomon says in verse 28, in a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without people, a prince is ruined ruined excuse me princes and kings presidents and prime ministers they have all sorts of power they have all sorts of glory but if they don't have a people to lead then they aren't much of a king or a queen there's thank you okay there's very little prestige for a prince to hold the title if he has few or no people of whom to rule over with the title now what's the takeaway Takeaway is this, whether you rise up to be a king or a queen, a prince or a president, never lose sight of the fact that the honor and safety of kings depends upon the people that they rule over. And I I imagine very few of us in here are going to rise up and be kings and queens and princes and prime ministers. So maybe a little bit more practical, if you rise up to lead a business or to lead a group, for instance, at work or something like that, be ever mindful to lead those in your charge with kindness and generosity with love and with understanding. And that'll be your crowning achievement, and that'll draw even more to yourself. Verse 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. As we, just like we saw back in verse 17, he raises this issue again of how we respond in our anger. And he says here, whoever is slow to anger has understanding, and that a person that has a hasty temper magnifies fully, uh, folly foolishness. So certainly we know there are things, as I said earlier, that should make us angry. Injustice should bother us. It should bother you. It's not the way God designed things to be. When the innocent are harmed, that should bother you and hopefully cause you to stand up and do something, if physically yourself or get on the phone and call 
for help, whatever it may be. Those things should bother you. But that does not mean that you are at liberty to just fly off the handle and to just manifest your anger, even if those are justified things. And the wise individual tempers their response. And in doing so, they are allowing themselves to be careful, thoughtful, deliberate, and they do what they want to do as opposed to what just comes out of them. And their response then demonstrates that they either possess wisdom or foolishness. Now, I think there's an interesting note about this here because I think a lot of us struggle with getting angry, some of us more than others. And an interesting note here is regarding that phrase in your verse there that says, a hasty temper. And I think the meaning of that little phrase there, there's a couple of words there, it comes out well for us in the King James. So this is what the King James says. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. And so that hasty temper, here in the King James, it's translated as hasty of spirit. Literally, the words for the phrase are short of breath. And breath, as you may be aware, you may know this, is often used in the scripture as a symbol or a reference to the working of the Holy Spirit in people's lives or in the world. And so whether or not Solomon directly intended to do so or not, I think he's hit the idea of a hasty temper. I think he's hit the nail right on the head because a person that flies off the handle is a person that is short of breath, so to speak. And by that, what I mean is they are lacking in the Holy Spirit. Now, as a Christian, we know this, that every person that is a follower of Christ, that they have the Holy Spirit within them. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit is given, if you will, as a down payment of things to come, a down payment of eternity, which has been born within our hearts and what heaven is ultimately going to be. But the, so every, every believer has the Holy Spirit, but the question is, how much, of the Holy, how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? So we have the Holy Spirit, but how much does the Holy Spirit have of us? put it another way, are you submitted in your life? Am I submitted in my life to the Holy Spirit? Is the fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in my life? Or instead, am I continually bringing, uh, is my will the one that is running things? The question should be, am I bringing my will into subjection to God's will? The scripture says this, this is found in the book of Galatians. It says that the fruit of the Spirit, you will know if God's spirit is working in your life by the fruit that is being produced in your life. And Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the spirit is, among other things, self-control. And so if you have a hasty temper and it's just, you're just flying off the handle or you're putting up the walls and you're letting everybody know that you're angry with them, those sorts of things, that's an indication that you are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you have not yielded your responses to his uh, desires and directions. And that's a foolish way to live your life. And it's destined to get yourself into a whole bunch of hot water. Remember that, that quote I said earlier, he, when the pot boils over, you get into hot water, whatever the quote was, it was meaningful. I remember when we looked at it there. And so it's a foolish way to live. Bring your life into submission. Verse uh, 29, he says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. So let me just go back. So when I'm flying off the handle, when I'm, I find myself just getting mad and I'm, I'm lucky I didn't do something or whatever, that's an indication to me, Greg, you're not where you need to be. You need to pull back and go off to the bathroom or something. You need to take some time to get yourself in the right place with Christ and submit yourself to his leading and not your own. Okay, that makes sense? So let it be sort of an indicator for your life. Verse 29, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy, oh boy, makes the bones rot. 
Solomon, he contrasts here a heart of peace with that uh, with a heart that cannot come to rest. A heart of peace with a heart that cannot come to rest. And the difference there that causes the, the difference is envy, as it says here. An envious heart is a heart that is never at rest. It's interesting. Physicians today confirm what Solomon told us 3,000 years ago, and that is that envy is bad for a person's physical health. Can you believe that? Envy is bad for a person's physical health. There's always this comparison There's always this discontentedness. There's always this scheming to acquire. There's always this blaming God is not fair. You know, all these things. And the person is never at rest. And that state of being is a very unhealthy place to be. Here, though, he says a tranquil heart, rather, is continually restored. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. So a person with a tranquil heart here, i.e. not envious, genuinely takes pleasure in other people's well-being and are even drawn to give thanks to God that somebody else is being blessed. Try asking an envious person to do that. Of course, they always have it that way, yeah. And one of these things. No, man, you got to let that go. You're making yourself miserable. And now I'm miserable because I'm talking to you. All righty? And I don't like it. And whatever. Let it go. And bring your heart into a place. Paul, again, to talk about this idea of yielding to the Holy Spirit. In that same passage there of the fruit of the Spirit are these things. Just before that, he tells us what the fruit of the flesh is, so to speak, or the works of the flesh. And he calls envy one of those. So he says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are these things. And then halfway through, he says envy. So if envy is a proclivity of your heart, you want to submit that to the Lord. And what you really want to do is say, Lord, root this out of my heart. Take it away from me, Lord, because I know it's not for my good, and I know it doesn't honor you. It's a work of my flesh, not a fruit of the Spirit. And so you give that over to the Lord. So let the Lord search your heart on that. Verse 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors God or honors him. Those who have compassion on the poor honor God in the process. Catch that. God is, considers himself honored in the kindness, kindnesses that are done to others and here particularly the poor. And you'll remember Jesus, he pointed out that he will consider acts of kindness done to other people as very, acts of kindness actually done unto himself. So the Lord sees these things. He takes note of the way that we treat others. And so you want to do your best to be on the right side of the Lord in these matters. Verse 32, the wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. As we saw back in verse 19, the Lord will right all wrongs. And whereas the wicked may seem to be getting ahead here on the earth, the time will come, many times here in the temporal, but certainly in the eternal, when the wicked will be overthrown. And at that moment, the righteous will find his or her refuge, as it says in our particular verse. And so your takeaway is don't get discouraged. Keep running your race. Don't get dejected. Keep your eyes on the Lord and do what he's calling you to do and leave the results, if you will, to him. Okay? Uh, Verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of of fools. And as we've seen many times in Proverbs already, the wise individual does not feel compelled to show off all of their wisdom or to banter on and on until people are convinced, wow, you're really smart. They're content to keep it right here in their heart. 
their wisdom. But even in that, even in that contentedness, I don't need to let everyone know how smart I am. Even in that, it comes out. It can't be kept down. Look, it says wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. At the right time, it comes out and it blesses those that are around them. But the general principle is here. They don't need to show off how much they know. It rests right here in the heart of man. Verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Amen. The character of a nation, both the people of that nation and the leaders of that nation matter. The character of a nation, both its people and its leaders matter. So when justice reigns in a nation, that justice qualifies that nation for God's blessing. And leaders that lack character do not execute justice, to use a specific scenario. And since they do not exercise justice, they are no longer qualified for God's blessing. Now, they may be compelled to do so. They may not have any character, but compelled to show justice because the laws require that of them. But there will always be this question as to what benefits me or what is in the best interest of me. And the Lord sees that and he takes note of that. And so in order for a nation and a people to be great, its leaders and its citizens must have upright moral characters that are known for their righteousness. I think it's important that you take these things into account when you go into your voting booth. Because as it says here, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And again, in order for a nation or a people to be great and blessed by God, their character matters. Dig into your history books and look at the nations and empires that have gone before us. No country has prospered long that forsook the path of national righteousness. It's just proven out in history. Go and look it up yourself. And when pride and vanity and greed and cruelty are allowed to rise up in a nation and become the norm of that nation... The, humble, the hour of humbling is not far away. And I'm fearful for our nation because that's what we see in our nation. And I encourage America, I encourage all the nations, like people listen to me, I encourage America and all the nations of the world to take that verse seriously. Our final verse this morning, a servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. Pretty straightforward exhortation there. Helpful reminder, you're an employee you're a servant of another in one way or another. Helpful reminder there to you. I think it also is a great reminder and a strong encouragement as we seek to serve an even greater king, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, friends? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, uh, a lot here, certainly, on a whole variety of different topics. And, and Lord, I understand that it's hard for our hearts to focus in on 15 or 18 different principles and truths. And and so, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would take a nugget or a couple of nuggets of truth and uh, cause them to resonate in each one of our hearts. Lord, we want want this time to be fruitful. Lord, that we come into your presence and we, we learn of you and we learn your desires for us. And then we apply those things as we leave from here. And then our lives are changed in such a way that it brings greater glory to you. And And Lord, that's our desire. And so by your Holy Spirit, I pray you would take all that was said today and Lord, you would filter out my own tone and and attitude and all these things and just let the truth remain 
and impact each of our hearts. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.